If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me this morning to Isaiah chapter 9. Our text will read in just a moment. It will be found in verses 6 and verse 7. Thank you, Pastor Stewart. I, I thought kings wore kingly robes, like extra large kingly robes. Apparently not. Matt, thank you for leading us this morning. I, I think it's, you did wonderful, all of you, but I, I think it's, you're getting some help with the Christmas season as well. Um, and it is getting exciting. I know that Aaron loves Christmas. And there's this sense of anticipation and excitement that we are feeling as it builds. I was just talking with Wendy. Are we, are we just over two weeks from Christmas or are we just less than two weeks? Like we don't really know. Like It's soon. It's coming soon. And we have an opportunity to speak on that very subject of what we celebrate with the Prince of Peace, the arrival of Jesus, baby Jesus. We looked this morning where peace is Found. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we dive into the word of the Lord together? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we are most grateful. We're grateful for the privilege you've given to us to gather and to lift up our voices in praise and sing to you, to worship. For everything to kind of stop and slow down for us to adore you. Thank you, you are king. That you reign and rule, that you are supreme and sovereign. I thank you, Lord, that you're present here with us, that your spirit abides within, leading and speaking and guiding and I pray, Lord, as was already mentioned, that we who have been given ears, we would hear from you this morning. That every, every word that has been written for me to speak would be your words. That you would arrive and, and gather the, the loose, fragmented ends of our, of our busy lives and thoughts that are racing all over the place and and we would have a focus on you. Lord, I just, I, I again just beg for help. That you would give clarity of word and thought and speech. I pray, Lord, this, for those that are going through difficult seasons. We have people that are sick and have been struggling this past week. Would you minister to them? Encourage and strengthen. We pray, Lord, for many and the state of Kentucky through devastating loss this past week. Pray, Lord, that we would be faithful in lifting up those in the midst of storm. Father, we pray as well for our community. I think, Lord, of so many people I've spoken to even this week that do not have the hope, that do not have the peace that is offered through Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us opportunity to to speak into the lives and to show others what it looks like to worship you. May you be glorified in these moments. We ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. I've thoroughly enjoyed each Friday and Saturday night with our outreach, and we 
have the opportunity to serve our community. And I, I thank so many of you that have been doing a lot of hard work in that. And we listen to Christmas songs over and over and over and over and over again. One of my favorite ones, in all honesty, is now the last one. It used to be number two, but now it's the last one. And it begins with this, this commentary that we all know from Charlie Brown, where he's quoting Luke chapter 2. And for some reason, my mind has been focused not just on Christmas, but on Charlie Brown. And there was one particular Peanuts cartoon where, where Lucy was talking to Charlie Brown, and she said, I, I hate everybody. I hate everything. I hate the entire world. Charlie Brown said to Lucy, but I, th I, thought you, I thought you had inner peace, Lucy. And she said, I do. But I still have a lot of outside obnoxiousness. You know, I, I think about us. Christmas is coming and there's, this, there's these four thoughts that, that we are focusing on. We will focus on. Last week we looked at hope, and this week we look at peace, and next week we'll look at joy, and then love. And you think about these four things, hope, peace, joy, love. And in all honesty, you think about Christmas, that's like the best part. Like That's the best part. And what we have to hold on to is that we, we really only experience these four things partially. But one day, think of this, one day... We will experience hope and peace and joy and love totally, completely. No brokenness. Just, just think, we get a little glimpse this season, and it's really a glimpse of what is to come for anyone who has put their faith in Jesus. This morning is peace, and how, how often we have been talking about the subject of peace in our world, wishing for it, longing for it, hoping for it. But it seems, peace seems like, like a slippery fish in your hand after you've caught a fish. It's pretty, it's pretty elusive. Peace does not describe our world today. And I'm not just talking about foreign headlines of, of troop build-up or saber-rattling that is endless or threats or unsettling announcements from dictators or despots abroad. Peace seems to elude what? Even those in, in the most safe and the secure of neighborhoods. Peace escapes the wealthy and the so-called Wise. It doesn't matter how much success, it doesn't matter about how much power someone has, prestige, it doesn't matter about, about any accomplishments, none of those things will ever guarantee peace. Peace is defined as this, freedom from disturbance, tranquility, mental calm, serenity, a state or a period in which there is no war or a war has ended. Now, if, if we pause on this for a moment, if we're honest and we try to imagine peace, it's hard to imagine. I've heard it described like this. Peace is that brief, glorious moment in history when everybody stands around reloading. 
Do, do you know this is quite interesting? They don't know exactly who made that statement. They don't know who to give credit for. They, they actually have an argument over, well, who made that statement? Some people thought it was Thomas Jefferson, but Thomas Jefferson would never use the phrase, stands around. So it, it can't be, people are arguing. Some people feel it's, it's Robert Ingersoll. Just think for a moment, they're arguing over the, 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 the quote surrounding the word of peace. And so there's us. Just over two weeks or just less than two weeks from Christmas, whenever it is, we know it's the 25th. We know that what? At this season, we are reminded about the arrival of the Prince of Peace, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah and the Savior of the world, who was born to die. He was, he was born to offer himself as a once and for all time sacrifice, as a payment, as atonement for the sins of mankind. And it's Jesus who will usher in what? A reign and a rule who will establish a kingdom that is described with these few words. One phrase. Of peace there will be no end. Of peace there will be no end to it. If we try to imagine it it's really hard to imagine. Where is peace found? Number one, peace is found in the plan of God the Father. Everything is carefully. Chaos surrounds us. Everything is carefully ordered in the plan of God the Father. We've turned in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Listen very carefully to verses 6 and verse 7. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. These words were written by the prophet Isaiah about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. And, and what I find is that we don't have to go very far in this before there's these couple words that kind of, kind of blow us away. There, there's something personal here. This week I received a letter and it started like this. Dear Boger, Timothy J. And at, at some moment I'm like, you really don't care about me, do you? Dear Boger, Timothy J. Like, really? Really? There's something about that, like that's pretty far out there. That's pretty distant. You don't know who I am. You just want something from me. And so we don't have to go real far into this particular text. And it's what? For to us. For to us. Which means what? It's, it's to you personally a gift. We love presents that have been packaged and wrapped up pretty. A gift has been given for us, and it has your name on it. This is for you. A son is given. 
And we know originally in this particular context, it is a word to Israel. But now the gospel, and we've been learning about this in the study of the book of Romans, is made available to all, both Jew and Gentile, who have been incorporated. This is us. This is God's plan. This is speaking of God's gift for you. And yet, if you pause on this and you kind of look around, it's, it is hard to see. and It's kind of hard to understand. Like, what exactly has happened? I always step back. What, like, what is happening here? Okay, a government. There's these, these words, these phrases. A government, a throne, a kingdom. And then it talks about what? It's being established or it's upheld. And it's upheld with justice. It's upheld with righteousness. It's upheld with peace to which there will be no end. Like what's happening here? You've, you've, all, you've, all, you've all been there. You, you get up in the morning, you drive somewhere or you're being driven somewhere and it's foggy out. Now the, the, the mist kind of sits on the river. And so, so you kind of, you, you have to be careful because you kind of see things out there, but they're not real clear. And the closer and closer you get, oh, and it becomes more clear. Regardless of, of how hard you strain, you can't really see it. Our view is very, very limited. Now think for a moment of history. All of time. It's kind of like a foggy morning where we kind of see through it, but we don't see clearly. We strain, but we cannot see it all. It's impossible. However, that's not the way it is with God. Think of all of time. Not only does he see it all, but he sees it all at one time. Every person that has been created... And formed and fashioned in their mother's womb. God sees the past. He sees your past. God sees the present. He sees, he sees exactly what is in front of you. What you're worried about. Like what's going to happen. I don't know. He sees the future. Moses actually writes the psalm in chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90 verse 2. He says, before the mountains were brought forth. Or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Boy, if we hold on to nothing else this time of the season, this time of the year, we have to hold on to the fact that, that it's him. He sees it. As hard as we try, we lack God's perspective. We lack God's vantage point. And yet what is amazing is that God, in his unending and immeasurable grace... He actually gave to us people in the past who had the ability to kind of see through the fog. As I've heard it described by Pastor David Jeremiah, he says, to see shapes in the mist of the future. Certain people have been given an ability. The authors, the ones who wrote down the scriptures that we have before us, they were able to see shapes in the mist of the future. A person who was given this ability... This calling was called a, a prophet. Specific people who were called to be obedient to speak on behalf of God for his purpose. Now why is that? To reveal little bits and pieces of the future to us. 
This is what Isaiah is doing right here in Isaiah chapter 9. Now, now why is it that God reveals little tiny bits and pieces for us to kind of see? Why is that? Words like this. A government established that's totally different than any other government? Why? You, You know why? This is back to the package with your name on it. Because he loves you. All your little annoying things that other people are like, oh man, this bugs the heck out of me. God loves you exactly how you are. Just, just like your weird shaped nose and your weird shape, like whatever it is. Like, I don't like that. God loves you. Your squeaky little voice, your annoying habits. God made you like that. You don't have to try to be anyone else. You don't have to be like anyone else. God sees us and God loves us. And I am still blown away by that. And nowhere, I don't think anywhere we see this more clearly than Christmas time in the Christmas story. Because I believe it's Christmas reveals God's plan and puts us on the path to the cross. And that path doesn't start, it doesn't start just in a what? A manger in Bethlehem. Long before that, we go way back every single page in the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. It's as if these words are are pregnant with something. There's this sense of tremendous and wondrous anticipation and expectation. Every word speaks of his coming. And if you were to even pan back further than just the Old Testament, you could look at all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. 1,500 years, God breathed his word through 40 different authors to write down, and there's a single message, there's a central theme. A holy God shows his love for the entire world, but he shows his love to you. And he offers a plan of redemption and rescue. The entire theme of Scripture, and we need to see that, and we need to hold on to that and trust him. God loves us so much that he gives to us what kind of shapes mist in the future for us to hold on tight to right now. He does this, why? I think to encourage us, because we certainly need that. But do, do you know, God also gives us a little glimpse as far as what's going to happen down the road to warn us how to live, how we're to look and how we are to listen. So that every single day when, when you turn on the news and you see one more scrolling headline, you do not have to worry. You don't have to worry. I don't, I don't care what headline greets you. I, I'm not reading the news or listening to the news, and, and I'm worried because, because I'm not some spiritual giant. I'm not worried about, oh no, what, what about? Not because I'm some spiritual, like, like whoa, everything. I, I am human, I am weak, I am foolish, I struggle, and I sin, and I cannot see through the fog clearly, but it's okay because I know the one. I know the one, and I worship the one, and I am loved just like you are by the one who sees it all.
who made it all and planned it all. What happens when we begin to live like that? There's a settledness. Described in scripture, what? As a peace that is beyond understanding. The rest of the world is in panic and chaos. Enter what? You, loved by God. In relationship with God. And moves with a sense of grace and calm and peace. Through the craziness of this world. The primary job of Old Testament prophets was not, not just to reveal the shapes in the fog. It was also to preach truth and proclaim. They, there was a constant cry. Just as you hear the regular theme from this pulpit, what? A cry to be obedient fully to the word of God. Just stop for a moment. This word. How much time this week? How many days this week did you start here? If, if there is a constant call for us to be obedient to this word, you better know this word. You better be feeding on this word. You better be chewing on this word. You better be talking about it, memorizing it. You better call up people. I don't know what I'm reading here. Help me out. How much time have you, have you invested? How much have you ingested this word, this call to what? Obedience. There's a constant call from the prophets toward holiness, to live set apart from the rest of the world. There's a call to have faith. There's a call to what? Surrender and submission to God. Specifically, right here, the prophet Isaiah says what? He speaks of the one who will shoulder the weight of all governments and it shall be a peaceable government that is agreeable with his own character the prince of peace he shall rule by love and he shall rule what in the hearts of men and women so that wherever there is this ever increasing government the boundaries increase and the luster increases and the peace shall increase please understand first where is this thing found it's found in the perfect plan, in the well-executed plan of God the Father. Secondly, peace is found in the person of God the Son. Where is this peace found? It is found in the person of God the Son. On the night of Jesus' birth, the angels, what, proclaim the good news to the shepherd. One arrives first, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior that is Christ the Lord. Run to him, find him in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And then that one angel is what? Is joined with thousands of other angels. And it says this in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory, glory, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. What? On earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. The angels are emphasizing 
what Jesus Christ is going to bring, the only one who will be able to bring in and maintain this time of millennial peace. And it's quite obvious that Jesus was the only one promised to bring something that no one else could ever offer. Now think about this for a moment. For, for centuries, mankind has talked about, and we have what? Worked towards peace. We have, we have tried to end and eradicate oppression and end wars and end bloodshed and end violence. And what do we do? You know what we keep doing? We keep building memorials and monuments to remember people who have died in the midst of chaos. That's what we do. We can't forget. And we cannot forget. J just consider just, just modern history, last 100, 150 years. Between 1912 and 1917, Europe was decimated by the worst war in human history. So horrific, people wistfully refer to it as what? It is the war to end all wars. Yet within a few decades, they actually had to change the name of that war to World War I because there was another war that was bloodier and worse. World War II. To commemorate it, a day that will live in infamy just this past week. And then after that war ended, we're thrust into a cold war. And then, and then what? And then, and then the, the con we don't want to call it a war. It's a conflict, the Korean conflict. And then the Vietnam War. And then war in the Middle East. And then what? An air campaign in Eastern Europe. And then, and then there's more war in the Middle East. And we know that why enemies abound. And you begin to say, like, who's next? Like, what is next? Do you realize somebody somewhere hates you and wants to pick a fight with you, ready or not? It's going to happen. It says that there will be wars and there will be rumors of war, which means what? We will not, we will not through strength, through education, we just need to educate people more. We just need to understand. We need to teach our children. They can't get along in their own classroom. It's not going to come through science or technology. It's not even going to come through diplomacy that's going to usher in this peace on earth. We will not achieve peace. But, but certainly our Savior can and our Savior will make peace. The, the lack of peace in this world is a direct result of the lack of peace in people's hearts. Let me, let me just say that again. So all the craziness, all the chaos, all the... A, a lack of peace in this world is a direct result of the lack of peace in people's hearts. That's why what? There's a message that you hear all the time. You go to your neighbor... You have no idea about the chaos that happens behind closed doors and the unrest and the sleeplessness and the what? I just have a lot of outside 
obnoxiousness. That's why we tell and we teach what and we preach. We need a Savior that can usher in real peace, legitimate peace, everlasting peace. There can be none unless there's a transformation of one's heart, a transformation from within, a transformation that leads to a different attitude and a different action. This is what Jesus will do. And this is what only Jesus will do. Acts chapter 4, it says in verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else. You could say there's no salvation in no thing else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must, we must be saved. Today what we begin is what you can acknowledge your own sin and you can trust Jesus to forgive. Truly have peace for him to reign as the Prince of Peace in your life. Remember we go back to the, the first definition this, this sense of serenity and calm where war has ended? Well, the way that wars end is that one side takes a white flag and they wave it. And there's ceremonial signatures that are signed, but it begins because somebody has been beat so much that they wave a white flag and they surrender and they say, you win. And the war is over, temporarily. You, you realize how that translates to us? Some of you are so beat up and so tired at such unrest and experiencing such toil that there's really only one response for you. There's only one response. You wave the white flag. I mean, let me tell you, God's not going to be beat. You're not going to win against him. You're not going to have it your way. There's one response. And I know that that goes against everything, but we're, we're American. We don't give up, and we don't, we don't surrender. We don't, I understand that. But, but in this government that's going to be established, there's one king that will rule. He has all authority, supreme sovereignty, the response right now is rather than continuing to fight and battle with the misery of your own life, you just wave the flag and say, Lord, you win. I'm yours. The battle's over. Jesus cried what on the cross? It is finished, which enables us to live chosen, safe at rest and at peace. Matthew Henry says it like this. He, he is the prince of peace. As a king, he preserves the peace. He commands peace. Nay, he creates peace in his kingdom. He is our peace. And it is his peace that both keeps the hearts of his people and rules in them. He is not only a peaceable prince and his reign peaceable, but he is the author and he is the giver of all good, all that is peace, which is the present and future bliss 
of his subjects. Don't for a moment, don't for a moment believe the lie. He says God wants to just crush you into nothingness and keep you. No, God has a delightful plan of glorious bliss for you. Peace is found in the plan of God the Father, in the person of God the Son. Thirdly and finally, peace is found in the presence of God the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, it says what? That the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. There's many of them, but one of them is what? Peace. Thankfully, thankfully, as Jesus, the Prince of Peace, was nearing the end of his earthly ministry. This is before the crucifixion. Before the resurrection, before the ascension, he carefully explains to his followers, his disciples in the upper room. John chapter 16 and verse 16, he says, In a little while, you're not going to see me. Verse 17, he says this, I uh, am going to go to my father. And he's trying to explain something in verses 16 and 17 that he laid out earlier in, in, in verse 7, where as, he, as he's speaking, they're like glassed over, like totally, like, what's going on here? We don't get this. What is it that Jesus told them? He says this in John chapter 16, verse 7. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the word parakletos, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I, will, I promise you. I will send him to you. Little did those disciples know just how vital, how important, and how necessary this ministry of the parakletos, the advocate, was going to be. If you recall, which I'm sure you do, you're wise students of the word. A couple weeks ago, actually a couple months ago, we were in Romans chapter 8. No less than 20 references to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in one chapter, Romans chapter 8. And to jog your memory just a little bit, what is it that this divine agent does? Who, who it says what in verses 2 and 3? Frees believers from our sin and from death. Verses what? 4 through 13 enables us to live righteously. Like, I don't, have, I don't have the ability to do this, but the Holy Spirit gives it to us. Romans chapter 8, what? The Holy Spirit comforts us in our affliction. Verses 14 through 19. What else does the Spirit do? In verses 20 through 28 of Romans 8, preserves us and sustains us in Christ. What else? There's more. In verses 29 through 39, Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit guarantees our eternal victory in glory. The Holy Spirit is what? Doing all of those things for us. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul's writing and he says what? Walk by the Spirit every single day. Take one more step. Walk by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Later, he just commands, it's an imperative in the book of Ephesians, what? Be filled. This is, a, this is an instruction for us. We're commanded to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Why? 
Because the Apostle Paul knows the immense blessing and the benefit of the Spirit's filling. Thus the reason, the fruit, the evidence, that which you walk up to the tree and you pick a luscious, complete, ripe, ready piece of fruit. The fruit, the evidence of the Spirit's work in your life and in my life is peace. Some of you have it. Many of you demonstrate a sense of peace and calm. Others of you live in terror and fear every single day. And there is no evidence of the fruit that the Holy Spirit gives and promises to give. And that is peace. It is so desperately needed today in this world because we live surrounded not just by, by countries around us, but within those in our own community who have doubts and fears and uncertainties and they are in desperate need of inner peace. Mental health professionals and therapists and counselors will tell us what? That the Christmas holidays, the time that we set apart to what? Celebrate peace on earth. It's actually this season that is one of the most difficult, the most depressing seasons of the entire year. Because that's when there's what? Expectations that go unmet. I was really looking forward to that gift and that's, that's it? I thought it'd, be, it'd look cooler than that on the commercial. And the guy looked better in it than I look in it. And expectations go unmet. Stress multiplies. And, and, I, and I know that it's one of those things that we don't want to ever admit. We don't want to let people to see in. Because if, if we let them see in, then it reveals that there's maybe a weakness in us. Or it reveals that there's a problem in us. Or a vulnerability. Or, or that we actually lack the perfect life. Yet in reality, every single one of us know people. Or perhaps even we ourselves in this season feel kind of shut out from others why is everybody else having a party over there and i'm out here many people feel what shut down through seasons that we've had of quarantine or isolation or separation and it's no secret it's no surprise over the past many months that multiple people have suffered fellowship has suffered and here it is here's what people are feeling Loneliness. In, in the midst of a crowd of people, people still feel what? Lonely. And loneliness is what? It is a form of suffering. Some, I think, and this is where the enemy can be really, really dangerous, that people confuse loneliness with sin. I know that God is present and God is with me, why do I feel lonely? I, I must not be very spiritual. If only I had more faith, then, then I would not feel lonely or isolate it. I don't for a moment, I don't for a moment ever believe that loneliness is a sin. I think loneliness is, is yet one more consequence of the fall. But if we pause for a moment, and this is, this is heavy, this is deep, 
while loneliness is not a sin, our own sin can actually compound our loneliness. And what happens? Our response and our reaction to loneliness certainly can become sinful. Thankfully, we have, praise God, we have the ministry in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence who reminds us what? Who whispers to us, God cares. He's advocating for us. God, God knows. Who wraps his arm around us. And when no one else in the world cares, the Holy Spirit says what? God sees it. I think of people throughout the pages of Scripture. Elijah, a hero of the faith. He, he prayed and fire came down from heaven. I've been praying all my life. I've never had fire come down from heaven to like burn up something. This is a godly man. It's recorded that Elijah didn't even, he didn't even die. He was so spiritual. God just said, I want you here with me. And he just like goes up to heaven. Like that's, that's like spiritual giant. When Jesus is on Mount what, Transfiguration, Elijah shows up. Like Elijah is just a man amongst men. And yet it actually is recorded in 1 Kings that Elijah struggles with feeling lonely. Even Elijah. Jeremiah writes of this often. King David struggled with loneliness. And I appreciate the honesty. I think we all do. That's why the Psalms are so special. David himself, what? struggled with loneliness and he wrote this in psalm chapter 25 consider my affliction as he's praying lord consider my trouble then he makes this statement and forgive me of my sins and loneliness is not a sin but i think what happens is because we get lonely we also get nasty And in Psalm chapter 25, David actually, what, he, he expresses the fact that he's struggling. And then he, he asks for the Lord to forgive him. Later on, we know in Psalm chapter 51, this incredible psalm of confession. Cast me not away from your presence, and please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Why? Because he knows it's the Holy Spirit that is going to give that inner sense of calm. Of assurance. That's the need in this season, the celebration of the Prince of Peace, whom an angel spoke to Joseph that said, Your betrothed, your dearly loved one, is going to bear a son. And Joseph, your dad. I know one of the things that you get to do is you get to name your boy. But Joseph, you're going to call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph said, all right. Wave the white flag. And he said, you know what? That's what you want? That's what I'm going to do. You see, the, the reason the Holy Spirit is able to do the work of, of sanctifying us, of setting us apart to holiness of working in us is because of what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross through the gospel of Jesus. 
So unlike the rest of the world of what they're telling you, every other belief system and faith and religion that is out there that puts all the weight and all the responsibility and all the burden on you. This, this is what you got to strive to do. This is what you got to hope for. Don't forget to do this. This is what you need to, this is what you need to change. Biblical Christianity, the gospel, what? Puts all the burden on Christ. He says, you just give me everything and I'll take it from you. You see, the delight is what? Is, is waving the white flag and saying, I- I'm not the solution, okay? I'm not going to fix it. Mankind is not going to fix it. We are not the solution. We're actually the problem. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the solution. The Prince of Peace. Therefore, what do we do this morning? We just receive it. We receive the peace of God through trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope you've done that. If not today, I would encourage you, trust Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. How do I do that? You say, Lord, I trust you. You wave the white flag. Enjoy. Those of us that are wrestling with, like, my life doesn't, like, feel and doesn't look. No, no, just enjoy the peace of God through following Jesus, through a life of obedience. Through what? Through this word. And finally, we are to spread the peace everywhere by proclaiming the name of Jesus. May we be a church. May you, we be individuals who are faithful to the call of proclaiming the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace to everyone, everywhere. Father, we love you and we are amazed at your goodness and your grace. I pray, Lord, for people that are struggling right now, that they would understand the importance of personal surrender, the end of the war. We confess that we try to solve our own problems. And we know that we are the problem and that you are the solution. I pray, Lord, that we would be comforted by that truth today and we would tell that truth to others who are in need of comfort. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Tim, I invite you to stand with us as we close in song.